Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode. This is version 22 of the podcast, and I appreciate you guys listening. We made it to 2021, and we were hoping that this year would be a year of positivity and get us past 2020, and so far in the first week of this year, it has not been good. It has been the exact opposite, complete chaos going on in our country, but uh, the good news is that there are plenty of big sporting events going on this time of year, and we have a lot of sports to talk about, keep our mind off of that. So let's get you caught up. We'll start off in the PGA Tour. Uh, there have been no PGA events since the last episode on Christmas Eve, so due to the holidays, of course. So we'll start off. This weekend's tournament is the Century Tournament of Champions. And that is held at the Plantation Course at Kapalua in Maui, Hawaii. And it's a long course. It's almost 7,600 yards. But it is a rare par 73. Fairways are extremely wide on this course, which will help offset the wind they get on the island. So there should be some low scores at this course. Now, the Century Tournament of Champions, the field is usually only 30 players, and that's the 30 winners from the previous season. Now, But this year, the PGA Tour expanded the field due to the oddity uh, of last year's, uh, you know, the pause, the restart, COVID tests, so they expanded the field to include the 44 golfers that made the Tour Championship, which is the final playoff event in the FedEx Cup playoffs. Now, out of those 44 players, two of them declined to participate this weekend, and that's Rory McIlroy and Tyrell Hatton. And so that leaves the field of 42 players. There's no cut this weekend, so all 42 guys who start are going to finish uh, assuming no positive tests. And uh, it's a really good field, obviously. Great golfers. Uh, we'll, we'll just jump into Rick's picks to click for the Century Tournament of Champions. Now, normally I like to kind of spread out my picks amongst the field, get you one or two elite players, and then somebody else who's maybe not an elite golfer but I think is going to do well. But this week they're all really good golfers. They all made the playoffs. So we're just going to, you're not going to get cute. We're just going to keep it simple. Start off with Xander Shoffley. He's number six in the world. And believe it or not, his last PGA Tour win was in 2019, and it came here at Kapalua. Last year, he lost in a playoff hole to finish second to Justin Thomas. So Shoffley loves this course. He's familiar with it. He does well. And I like for him to be right up near the top of the leaderboard this weekend. Now, my second pick to click is Justin Thomas. He's number three in the world. He, of course, like I just said, is the defending champion. He also has won this event previously to last year, so he's a two-time winner here. And his last seven events, this guy has just been on a roll. He hasn't finished any worse than 12th in those seven events, including four top fives and a win. And that win was the PNC Championship where he got to play golf with his dad. Uh, and they won that. But uh, out of his last six starts, not counting that PNC Championship, he's made 20-plus birdies in five of those uh, events. So the dude is firing on all cylinders. And I look for Justin Thomas to have a really good chance to win this thing, honestly. But my final pick to click is Dustin Johnson. He is number one in the world. And he is the all-time earnings leader at this tournament. 
And like JT, he is also a two-time winner here. 2013, 2018 is when he won. And since the PGA Tour restart several months ago, DJ has four wins on tour, including the Tour Championship, FedEx Cup, and the Masters, which was his last start, which he just dominated. So I like for DJ to come out swinging, wide fairways, long course. That just suits DJ. Yeah, give me him to uh, to finish inside that top 25 click range. But we'll move on to the NCAA and college football. And college football just wrapped up bowl season. Of course, we have the national championship Monday, January 11th. But all the other bowl games have been played. And uh, I'll just read off the bowl records for each conference. The Big 12 went 5-0. The MAC went 2-0. Sunbelt, 4-1. SEC, 6-2. Big 10, 3-1. Mountain West, 2-1. American Athletic Conference, 1-5. Pac-12, 0-2. ACC, 0-6. I can't believe that. Uh... Between Clemson, Miami, and North Carolina, not one of those teams won. The ACC went over in their bowl games, which is that was very surprising. Conference USA also went 0 and 6, and then the Independents went 2 and 1. But I just talked about those playoff games. We had playoff games this year were the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. Now the Rose Bowl, of course, was not played in the Rose Bowl. It's played at AT&T Stadium in Arlington. And that was due to the California restrictions on spectators at sporting events. So uh, you had Alabama versus Notre Dame. And Alabama came into the game 17-point favorite. And they came out guns blazing. Uh, Najee Harris just completely hurtled the defender on Notre Dame, ran down the sidelines for 50 yards. You've probably seen the highlight. Uh, Notre Dame just took – I mean, Alabama just took it to Notre Dame – they were up 14-0 after the first quarter, and it was pretty apparent that Notre Dame just wasn't in the same league as Alabama. Alabama would go on to win 31-14. Uh, Devontae Smith, 100 yards, three touchdowns, ho-hum. That's just what he does. But Notre Dame scored late to cover the spread, but the game was not as close as the score would have indicated. Uh Alabama's just on a whole nother level, and we'll get to that in just a second. The uh, All-State Sugar Bowl was Ohio State and Clemson, and I picked Clemson to win, and they just came out and laid an egg, absolute egg. Now, part of that, the credit goes to Ohio State. Uh, Justin Fields led that team, and they just dominated. Fields gave the single most impressive playoff bowl game performance that I've seen. Uh, He went 22 of 28 for 385 yards, six passing touchdowns, and one interception. I mean, the dude had six passing touchdowns and only six incompletions. He was all over it. He added another 42 yards on the ground on eight carries, and on one of those carries, he got popped by Clemson linebacker James Skalski. Skalski's helmet hit Fields basically right in the lower rib cage, maybe kind of near his liver area. And Skalski actually got penalized for targeting and ejected from the game due to that hit. But that messed Fields up. You could see him wincing. Took him a minute to get up and off the field. He missed a play due to the injury, but then came back in and threw a touchdown pass to Chris Olave on his very next play. But you could tell Fields was bothered by that the rest of the game. He was wincing on the sideline every time he went to the bench. Uh, you can just you could see the pain that he was in, but he toughed through it. And he was just an absolute monster in that game. Definitely solidified himself as a top five draft pick uh, in this year's draft. So with those wins, that sets up the national championship game of Alabama versus Ohio State. And the reports came out this week that Ohio State was possibly dealing with some COVID issues uh, in their program. But Bill Hancock, the chairman of the uh, college football playoff committee has already come out and said that the game is not getting postponed. It will be played Monday, January 11th. 
So no issues there. Um, that game, I mentioned Alabama being a dominant team. The football power index measures a team in comparison to their opponent as far as their dominance. And Alabama's FPI this year is actually higher than any other Alabama team in history. So Alabama's produced some damn good teams here in the last decade, we'll say. And this statistically, based on the football power index, this year's Alabama team is the most dominant. Um, So Ohio State has their work cut out for them. And that game is going to be won basically between Ohio State's offense and Alabama's defense. Because Alabama's defense has given up 40 points twice this year. Uh, so you got to figure Ohio State needs to put up between 35 and 40 points uh, in order to win. So it's all about Justin Fields and his health and if he's feeling better. Because if, if Ohio State plays like they did against Clemson, then there is a very solid chance that Ohio State could be your national champions. But based on the way Alabama's played, they show no signs of slowing down. They got Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, two of the four Heisman finalists, and then they have Najee Harris, who finished fifth in the Heisman voting. That trio is just pretty much unstoppable. So I like for Alabama to win, but I'm going to say that Fields comes out and he plays well. I like this game to be within about a touchdown. So we'll, we'll say I like Ohio State to, to lose by less than seven points. But, I, you know, again, it wouldn't shock me if Alabama came out and won by 20 either. Uh, that's just how they've been this year. They're a very good team, and that's going to be a very good game. But the other big news out of college football was the Heisman Trophy. The Heisman Trophy was awarded this past week, and your winner, Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith. Dude had 105 catches for over 1,600 yards and 20 touchdowns. And that was in a COVID-shortened season with all kinds of rules and regulations and stuff that needed to be met. He came out and he gave you a a full season's performance in a shortened season. And the dude was just, like I said, 100 yards and three touchdowns in the Rose Bowl. That's about average for him. Um, He had four games this year of at least – 165 yards and two touchdowns. He Devontae Smith, with his Heisman win, he is the first wide receiver since 1991 to win the award, and he's actually the third wide receiver ever to win the award. Now, this is what shocked me. Out of all the good Alabama players to go through that program, Devontae Smith is only the third Alabama football player to win the Heisman Trophy. And the other two were Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry, other skill position players outside of quarterback. So that I found that to be pretty interesting. I would have figured Alabama would have more than three Heisman winners. But uh, the voting for the Heisman Trophy, Devontae Smith had 447 first-place votes. Trevor Lawrence finished second with 222 first-place votes. Then third was Alabama quarterback Mac Jones. Fourth was Kyle Trask, Florida quarterback. Um, And then, of course, like I mentioned, Najee Harris, Alabama running back, finished fifth. So Alabama's offense is sporting three of the top five Heisman Trophy finalists. Yeah, that's that's pretty scary. You can plan all you want, but those guys know how to ball. But not only did Devontae Smith uh, win the Heisman, he was also named the Associated Player Associated Press Player of the Year, which is also, uh, you know, quite the accomplishment because, again, he just, he's rewarded with a great season. It's, he, with the AP Player of the Year award, he's the first wide receiver to ever win that award since it was established in 98. So Devontae Smith is, he just had a year, and again, he solidified himself as a top 10 pick. Absolutely, he will not make it out of that top 10. And we'll get into the other college football awards uh, in Around the Island. But just a, a brief look since we're talking about Heisman. Next year's Heisman Trophy odds uh, were released. 
And the, the odds-on favorite to win the Heisman next year in college football is Oklahoma quarterback Spencer Rattler. And some other names at the top, uh, Clemson quarterback DJ Uyagalale, North Carolina quarterback Sam Howell, uh, Miami quarterback De'Eric King. You know, there's some other names with a kind of a uh, higher or lower chance to win. You have like Brock Purdy, the quarterback of Iowa State, Brees Hall, Iowa State's running back, Bijan Robinson, running back from Texas. So there's you can you can check the list you know online as far as the, the odds on favorite, but Spencer Rattler is this odds on favorite as it sits right now to to win the Heisman next year. But we'll move on to the National Football League, and the NFL finished up their regular season, and you know just a short time ago, a couple months ago, we were talking about how they may not be able to finish their season with all the COVID tests and the protocols and uh, for them just to finish the season is absolutely incredible. And uh, so they did that. And believe it or not, the New York bleeping jets won another game. So they do not get the first pick. They look like they were going to be 0 and 16. And then they go win two of their last three games. So they, uh, they didn't want the first pick, apparently. That that pick belongs to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And since we're talking about the NFL draft order, we know what picks 1 through 18 look like. All right? Uh, that's set based on record of non-playoff teams. Picks 19 through 32 are going to obviously be determined by the playoffs and how that plays out. But I'll just read the top 10. Of the draft. Top pick belongs to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Number two, New York Jets. And the third pick in the draft belongs to the 10-6 and six Miami Dolphins, who just barely missed the playoffs. The only reason they have that pick at three is because they got it from Houston when they traded Laramie Tunsil to them. No way in hell did they ever believe that that was going to be a top three pick. So the Dolphins... They actually have two picks inside that top eight. They pick third and they pick 18th. But the fourth pick is the Atlanta Falcons. Fifth pick, Cincinnati Bengals. Sixth pick, Philadelphia Eagles. Seventh pick, Detroit Lions. Eighth pick, Carolina Panthers. Ninth pick, Denver Broncos. And the 10th pick belongs to my beloved Dallas Cowboys. So... Uh, we'll talk more about the draft as it gets closer, but uh, I, I'm a, I love the NFL draft. I love following it and everything that leads up to it. And this this is really shocking to me. Jacksonville has been a franchise in the NFL for 26 years. And this is the first time in history of the franchise in 26 years that they've had the top pick. They've been all over the top 10 here these last five, seven years. All over the top 10, or top five, really. But they've never had the top overall pick. So, and they're getting a good one because they're, they're going to be drafting Trevor Lawrence probably out of Clemson. But the main news out of the NFL is the fact that, of course, the playoff matchups are set. And if you recall, this year there's seven playoff teams on each side instead of six. They expanded it due to the wacky season. So only the top overall seed in each conference got the home field advantage and bye week, right? So uh, and we'll start off in the AFC. The top seed in the AFC was the Kansas City Chiefs. Second seed was the Buffalo Bills. Third seed, Pittsburgh Steelers. Fourth seed, Tennessee Titans. Fifth seed, Baltimore Ravens. Sixth seed, Cleveland Browns. Seventh seed, Indianapolis Colts. So the playoff matchups for the AFC turn out like this. Of course, Kansas City's got the bye, so they're off this week. The number two Buffalo Bills are hosting the number seven Indianapolis Colts. And that game is in Buffalo. And Buffalo has not had any fans in the stands all year. 
due to the state of New York not allowing that. But they are allowing about 6,700 fans into Buffalo for the playoff game. So Bills Mafia will be out to the tune of about 7,000 in the stands when they host the Colts. Now, I'll just go ahead and make my predictions as I go through these games. Buffalo might very well be the best team not named Kansas City. So they're at home. Uh, Indianapolis is a good team. Uh, they, They run the ball really effectively. But Buffalo, Josh Allen has that team just absolutely on a roll. The offense looks ridiculous. Uh, I just, I, I'm going to go with Buffalo. They seem to be a hot pick amongst uh, playoff pickers. But, uh, you know, I just, I, I Indianapolis can win the game, but that would involve their defense playing at a level that they're capable of, but we've only seen maybe a time or two this year. Uh, Darius Leonard leading the charge on that Colts defense. Uh, Kenny Moore, the cornerback, they really got to put it together if they want to slow down Josh Allen. But give me the Bills in that one. The uh, other matchup, Pittsburgh hosting Cleveland. Now, these two teams just played last week, week 17, final regular season game. Cleveland had to win to make the playoffs. Pittsburgh sat Ben Roethlisberger, so Mason Rudolph was the quarterback. And that game came down to a two-point conversion. Pittsburgh scored late, went for two to try and tie it, and didn't get it. And Pittsburgh ended up winning, I mean, I'm sorry, Cleveland ended up winning 24-22 to without playing Ben Roethlisberger. Now, Cleveland came out this week. They had some positive COVID tests. Uh, head coach Kevin Stefanski, a couple other assistant coaches, tested positive for COVID. So Cleveland is going to be in this game without their head coach, which means that Alex Van Pelt, their offensive coordinator, he's going to be calling the plays because Stefanski's out and he can't call him from home. This pick is easy. Pittsburgh gets Ben Roethlisberger back. They're at home. They're fully healthy. And that defense is nasty. And Cleveland barely beat them last week at home with a backup quarterback playing. Oh, yeah, and they don't have their head coach. Yeah, no way Cleveland wins this one. Give me Pittsburgh and a pretty lopsided victory. The final game in the AFC for the Super Wild Card Weekend, the Tennessee Titans are hosting the Baltimore Ravens. Now, this is probably the best game on paper, out of the entire wild card weekend. Uh, Tennessee runs the absolute hell out of the ball with Derrick Henry. And Tannehill can throw. Tannehill's, he's pretty much thrown his name in that top 10, top 12 quarterback conversation in the league. So he's he's not to be taken lightly, but uh, Tennessee's defense is where the weakness is. Their defense is really bad. They don't get a whole lot of pressure, and that is problematic when you face Lamar Jackson and that Baltimore Ravens offense that can be extremely explosive because the Ravens, outside of Jackson, J.K. Dobbins, Mark Ingram, and Gus Edwards form a pretty elite running back trio, and uh, they run the ball really well in addition to Lamar Jackson just making plays. So... Baltimore's been playing really well. I think they've won their last four games coming into the playoffs. Uh, The game's in Tennessee, but I'm going to pick Baltimore Ravens to win, which is technically the upset based on seeding, just based on the way that they've played. If Derrick Henry can do what he does, I think it'll be a really close game, and it might even be a coin flip. But I just trust Baltimore's defense to make more plays than I do the Titans' defense. So give me the Ravens in that game. But we'll flip over to the NFC. The top overall seed was the Green Bay Packers. That's the first-round bye belongs to them. Second seed, New Orleans Saints. Third seed, Seattle Seahawks. Fourth seed, the Washington 
football team. Seven and nine Washington football team. Fifth seed Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Sixth seed LA Rams. Seventh seed the Chicago Bears. Man, uh, let's go through those games. Like I said, Green Bay's got the bye. New Orleans is hosting the Chicago Bears at the Superdome. There's no fans, but New Orleans still has good home field advantage. These two teams met earlier in the year. Chicago played them pretty well. They've been playing well as of late. David Montgomery's been on an absolute tear these last four games of the season, finally getting that ground game. And uh, believe it or not, Mitchell Trubisky actually looks like he knows what the hell he's doing, which that's a surprise to everybody. But I don't see the Bears keeping up with the Saints. The Saints can score points and in bunches. Chicago's defense is good, but their offense is not as explosive as New Orleans. So I like the Saints to beat the Bears in this game. So give me New Orleans. Now we'll move over to the Seattle and L.A. The Seahawks and the Rams, NFC West Division rivals. This game is in Seattle. So it's at uh, CenturyLink Field or whatever the hell it's called now. It's always a tough place to play. The Rams haven't announced a starting quarterback yet. They're waiting until Saturday to do so. But Jared Goff had thumb surgery on a broken thumb about a week and a half ago. So he is not going to be 100%. If Goff play, he missed last week's game. But if Goff plays, he's not going to be 100%. If Goff was 100% healthy, I would probably pick the Rams because their defense is nasty. Uh, their defense, uh, they got Aaron Donald, obviously Jalen Ramsey, two of the best players at their position in the entire league. I do like the Rams, and I think because of their defense, they have a chance to compete in this game, whether or not Jared Goff is 100%. If Goff doesn't play, this game's not close. See how The Seattle Seahawks will win in a landslide. But if Goff plays, he's less than 100%. It's probably going to be a pretty good game uh, either way. But because of the health factor with Goff, I like the Seahawks. Their defense really kind of put it together the last uh, four or five weeks of the season. And uh, I just, they're, they're pretty good against play action as well, the defense. And they have some playmakers on that side of the ball. Their safeties, Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs, uh, seem to, they're hard hitters that make plays. So I like Seattle to win that game. But I think the Rams will keep it close because of their defense. Now, the, the other matchup in the NFC is the Washington football team and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And this game is in Washington, D.C. And as I mentioned, Washington made the playoffs at 7-9, and nine, which is the worst record by a division champion in NFL history. Only two other teams have made the playoffs with seven wins, and that was the 2010 Seattle Seahawks, who made it at 7-9, and nine, and the 2014 Carolina Panthers, who went 7-8-1. Now, the odd thing about both of those teams is that they both won their first playoff game. So, Washington, historically, now they're in a good spot. But here's the deal. They're playing Tom Brady and that offense. Now, it's one of the best offenses in the league, but Washington's defense is one of the best defenses in the league. They have the best defensive line in the league, led by rookie Chase Young, who decided it was a good idea to come out and say, yeah, we want Brady, bring him on. Now, I've been watching football long enough. I cannot, in good faith, pick the 7-9 and nine Washington football team to beat Tom Brady in the playoffs. I'm not going to do it. But they say defense wins championships, and if you have the best offense go against the best defense, the defense has the advantage. However, in this particular case, Washington's offense is putrid. Even with Alex Smith, 
Alex Smith doesn't throw the ball downfield. He dinks and dunks. And Tampa Bay's offense has playmakers all over the field. So I think Tampa Bay is going to score more than Washington, which means I think they're going to win. But I think I would – this is probably the one true upset that I – can see happening just because Washington's defense, if they can put pressure on Brady, uh, Brady of course is not mobile at all uh, with those athletic defensive line that Washington has, if they can force Brady to make bad throws I think the game could be close I just, I don't see Washington scoring enough points on that Tampa Bay defense and so, and of course it's the Tom Brady factor in the playoffs, right? I'm not picking against uh Tom Brady in the playoffs. Just I, I can't do it, at least not in this round, against that team. So those are my predictions for Super Wild Card Weekend. There's three games on Saturday, January 9th, and three games on Sunday, January 10th. So that'll be really cool. Triple header on back-to-back days, Super Wild Card Weekend. What else can you ask for? But just kind of in conclusion to the regular season, uh, finishing up you know, the discussion about that, there were two notable uh, records, basically, that were set uh, this year on the offensive side of the ball. Derrick Henry, the Tennessee Titans running back, he had uh, 250 yards in his last game, 230-something yards in his last game, week 17, to put him over the 2,000-yard mark for the season. So he had over 2,000 rushing yards on the season, making him the eighth player in NFL history to reach that milestone and the first one since Chris Johnson did it in 2012 just another monster season by Henry he got paid this past offseason so uh, you know he's he has every reason to play as well as he did but the other one probably the more impressive one was uh, Minnesota Vikings wide rookie wide receiver Justin Jefferson who set a new record for the most receiving yards by a rookie in the Super Bowl era, and he had 1,400 receiving yards. Uh, He was a first-round pick. I think he was picked 18th overall. Um, You know, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, Jalen Rager were all picked ahead of that guy, and Jefferson came out and just really lit it up, took the league by storm. So congrats to both of those guys. Those are both pretty hard accomplishments to achieve. But we'll... uh, We'll move over to our segment, Around the Island. And this is where we do some quick hit topics of the various sports. And we'll start off in Major League Baseball. Baseball is fully underway in their offseason. And there have been, over the last uh, couple weeks, there have been several big trades to take place in the offseason. The first one was between Pittsburgh Pirates and Washington Nationals. Pittsburgh traded first baseman Josh Bell to the Nationals. And in return, the Pirates get two pitching prospects, Will Crow and Eddie Yeen. Now, Josh Bell, he's 28. He was an all-star in 2019 where he hit 27 homers and 84 RBIs. He had a down year this past year in the shortened season. But Washington already has a good lineup. With Trey Turner, Bryce Harper, uh, Anthony Rendon. Well, Rendon was used to be there. He's in L.A. now. But you had Josh Bell, left-handed. Well, he's actually a switch hitter. But uh, he, he plays first base. That's really the only position of weakness on the Nationals roster uh, is, is that uh, first base slot. So Bell fits in there nicely. And uh, that... That's a good trade for Washington. Now, the San Diego Padres, they made two huge trades to acquire two ace-level pitchers. The first one was with the Tampa Bay Rays, and that involved Cy Young winner Blake Snell. Snell went from the Rays to the Padres for pitching prospects. Uh, Luis Patino and catcher Francisco Mejia and Blake Hunt. And also pitcher Cole Wilcox. So he Tampa Bay got a whole slew of prospects. Uh, now keep in mind, 
Tampa Bay just went to the World Series a couple months ago uh, in the American League, and they just got rid of their best pitcher for prospects. So uh, Blake Snell's going to San Diego. The other ace move that they made, San Diego that is, is pitcher Yu Darvish. San Diego also acquired Yu Darvish from the Chicago Cubs. Now, Darvish, he finished second in the Cy Young voting this past year, in the shortened year, when he went 8-3 and three with a 2.01 ERA. But Darvish was traded, along with his personal catcher, Victor Caratini, to the Padres for pitching starter Zach Davies and four prospects. So, Tampa Bay traded their ace, and Chicago traded their ace. So, both to the Padres. So the Padres are making moves right now. And you got one of the best young players in the league, Fernando Tatis, on that team, Manny Machado. Watch out for the Padres to make some noise this year because they have some great pitching now to go with a pretty solid lineup. And, of course, if you recall, the Padres did make the playoffs this year and won their first playoff series. So Padres are no longer a laughing stock. They are, they are up and coming, and they are ready to make – a big push right now in the playoffs. But we'll go over to the National Hockey League. And the NHL, Zdeno Chara uh, did not re-sign with the Boston Bruins. Longtime Boston Bruins captain did not re-sign with them in the offseason. Uh, instead, he signs a one-year $795,000 contract with the Washington Capitals. Now, the Capitals and the Bruins are in the same division. So that didn't sit well with a lot of people. And it will be weird seeing him in a Capitals uniform. But uh, good for him. He's 40-something years old, 43 years old, I think. He's definitely in the final year or two of his career. So uh, hopefully uh, he can get another playoff run in with uh, Washington. But some injury news out of the NHL. Chicago Blackhawks captain Jonathan Taves. He is out indefinitely with an undisclosed illness. Now, there have not been any more details released on that, uh, but Taves is out indefinitely, which that's never a good sign when somebody is out indefinitely. That means they're going to be gone a long time, so he might miss this entire season. Um, Who knows on that, but... The NHL also, over this last week, announced that there will be two outdoor hockey games played this year of course the winter classic was canceled this year that's normally on january 1st the season starting on january 13th we've already had training camps get underway in the nhl season starts january 13th but two outdoor games are both going to be in february and they're both going to be played at lake tahoe outdoors in lake tahoe First game is Colorado Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights. Western Conference matchup. And then the Eastern Conference, the Boston Bruins will take on the Philadelphia Flyers. So you got some big market teams there. Two outdoor games at a new location that there haven't been any outdoor games at. That'll be fun. That'll be cool to watch. And uh, hopefully the uh, weather cooperates to allow those games to take place. But the uh, some... Interesting news out of the NHL was that they, the NHL, they of course I talked about the division realignment with the new team, you know, with with COVID, you know, they had to put all the Canadian teams in one division. Well, they named the divisions uh, North, West, Central, and East. And this past week, the NHL sold the naming rights to those four divisions. And the move to sell the naming rights was probably a financial uh, issue to help generate revenue that was lost during the short during the shortened season. But the names of the, the divisions are the Scotia North Division, Honda West Division, Discover Central Division, and Mass Mutual East Division. And that's just, no other sports have divisions with sponsors. So uh, 
the NHL was unclear on if it's going to be a one-year-only deal or uh, if it's going to be more permanent. But uh, the reason for it is to help offset the loss of revenue from the league in this shortened season. But I mentioned that the NHL season is slated to start on January 13th. Now, there's the NHL schedule was released, and there are games every day from January 13th all the way until May the 15th. Oh, I'm sorry, May the 8th. Okay, so from January 13th until May the 8th, there is at least one NHL game every single day of the week at least as it sits right now, minus any COVID issues. And speaking of COVID issues, my Dallas Stars announced this afternoon that six players and two staff members have tested positive for COVID. So their opener is delayed until at least January 19th. They were set to take on the Florida Panthers on the 13th, but that is going to be moved until the 19th. So the Stars are starting the season a week later which, of course, impacts several other games as well. So we'll see how that goes, but that's NHL's not off to a good start there uh, with, with the COVID situation. So hopefully they can get that under control and uh, we can get this season in just like we did uh, the NFL and college football. And uh, speaking of college football, we'll jump over to that and we'll start off with some sad news that broke uh, right after Christmas. Uh, Utah freshman running back Ty Jordan. He was killed in an accidental shooting in which he accidentally shot himself here in Texas. Uh, Ty Jordan, he was the Pac-12 Offensive Freshman of the Year at Utah. Had a great freshman year. Came home for the holidays since Utah didn't make a bowl game. And he accidentally shot himself and it turned out to be a fatal Wound and uh, Ty Jordan went to high school at West Mesquite High School here in the Dallas area, which is uh, actually the city in which I work. So uh, that hit a little close to home, but uh, he was a great player and had a pretty uh, promising career ahead of him. So rip Ty Jordan, and uh, they held his funeral this past week at AT&T Stadium in Arlington. Uh, pretty cool little scene there, a lot of support. Uh, but definitely some sad news to uh, to report there. But some other news out of college football. Miami, Florida, their quarterback, De'Eric King, he tore his ACL in the Cheez-It Bowl against Oklahoma State. And that was just after he announced that he was coming back for his sixth year of eligibility. So literally before the game, De'Eric King says, I'm, I'm coming back for my sixth year. We have unfinished business. And then he goes out, tears his ACL in the first half of that game. Just a complete, complete bummer for King. He is expected to surgery and rehab that and be ready for the regular season next year. So hopefully that is the case because the, he deserves another chance at that for sure. Now, I came across this graphic in college football. It is the uh, top 10 richest college football programs in order of gross revenue. So however you want to define gross revenue, whether it's ticket sales, merchandise sales, sponsorships, TV partnerships, whatever the case is, here are the top 10 teams going down from 10 to 1 of gross revenue. Number 10, Nebraska Cornhuskers, 94.3 million. Number 9, Alabama Crimson Tide, 94.6 million. Number 8, Oklahoma Sooners, 94.8 million. Number 7, Auburn Tigers, 95.2 million. Number 6, Penn State Nittany Lions, 100.1 million. Number five, Ohio State Buckeyes, 115.1 million. Number four, Notre Dame Fighting Irish, 115.5 million. Number three, Michigan Wolverines, 122.3 million. 
Number two, Georgia Bulldogs, 123.1 million. And number one, the number one program in gross revenue is my Texas Longhorns at $156.1 million. Now, that list really surprised me. I would have probably guessed at least six of those teams. Uh, I would have guessed Texas. I would have guessed Michigan. I would have guessed uh, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Alabama. But I would not have had them in that order. Uh, I know Texas makes a lot of money. Uh, Trust me, I spend enough money on uh, merchandise and tickets and all that. Uh, But I, I certainly figured that Alabama, Ohio State... I was shocked to see Clemson not in this, uh, especially with the last five, six, seven years performance that they've had, a couple national titles. I can't believe they didn't make this list. I certainly would have had them in there. I would not have had Penn State or Auburn uh, in that list or Nebraska. I would not have had those three teams anywhere near that top ten. So for me, I just thought that was interesting. Uh, Gross revenue, uh, certainly – College football is a moneymaker, which is why they wanted to make sure and get this season in. Now, the biggest news out of college football this past week was, speaking of those Texas Longhorns, they fired Tom Herman, head football coach. He uh, he went 32-18 and on his four seasons at Texas. He was 4-0 in the bowl games, um, including a Sugar Bowl win last year, but he was his his he was overdue he just he had uh three top 10 recruiting classes including two top 5 recruiting classes his first couple years and just couldn't develop the talent uh it was time for him to go as as much as I like Tom Herman he's a Texas alum it was time for him to go uh just move on from him now he had a 15 million dollar buyout so they they wrote Tommy Herman a check for $15 million to move on from him. And his replacement was high, was named immediately, and that is Alabama football offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian. And Sarkeesian comes into Texas as an offensive guru, quarterback whisperer, which is exactly what Texas needs, especially with a couple young quarterbacks now that Sam Ellinger is going into the NFL draft. So, uh... Uh, I can't say that I'm super excited, but Sarkeesian is putting together a really good assistant coaching staff around him. So uh, I, I am a fan of that. So I, I think Texas is moving in the right direction. So I am definitely looking forward to uh, next football season and see how the Sarkeesian hiring pans out. Um, but I mentioned this guy's name when we were talking about college football earlier, Trevor Lawrence. He officially declared for the NFL draft. Big freaking shocker there. He's been projected to be the top pick in the draft since he was a freshman. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars own that pick like we talked about. So I would say if I was Trevor Lawrence, it's pretty safe for him to probably start looking at real estate in Jacksonville because that is where he's headed. But we'll move over to college basketball. Uh, NCAA basketball is underway. Teams have played uh, between 9 and 12 games, we'll say, for most teams. And I'll read the top 10 rankings so far. The top team in the country for men's basketball is the Gonzaga Bulldogs. They're 11-0. Number two is Baylor. The Bears are 10-0. and Three is Villanova at eight and one. Number four is Texas at nine and one. They just came off a big win against Kansas in Lawrence. Uh, number five is the Iowa Hawkeyes. They're ten and two. They have the best player in all of college basketball, Luca Garza. Uh, number six is Kansas. They're nine and two, and they just, like I said, had a home loss against Texas this past week by uh, twenty six points. Uh, number seven. Creighton, they're nine and two. Number eight, Wisconsin, they are ten and two. Number nine, Tennessee, eight and one. And the number ten team in college basketball right now is Michigan Wolverines. They are ten and zero. They are playing really good basketball, and they are sneaking up uh, higher and higher each week. 
there are three Big Ten teams inside that top ten. Um, two Big Twelve, uh, three Big Twelve teams. So uh, between the Big Big Twelve and Big Ten, you got half your top ten right there in the country. Uh, but the biggest news out of men's college basketball this week was the announcement that the annual March Madness tournament, the uh, NCAA men's tournament, is going to be held exclusively in Indiana, with most of the games taking place in Indianapolis, between Bankers Life Fieldhouse, where the Pacers play, and Lucas Oil Stadium, where the Indianapolis Colts play. So the entire men's basketball tournament will be played in Indianapolis. Um, I think that's their version of doing a bubble. That way uh, you limit the exposure, limit the chance of any uh, tests showing up. But, yeah, that uh, that's going to be interesting to watch, uh, NCAA basketball's version of a bubble. But we'll move back over to the NFL and there were three head coaches that were fired this past week after the season. The New York Jets, they fired Adam Gase. I mean, my God, he should have been fired about six weeks into the season, but he uh, he overstayed his welcome, and he ran that franchise into the ground. So uh, good for him on getting fired. Jacksonville Jaguars, they own the top pick. They fired Doug Marone, uh, their head coach. Um let me back up to Gase. Adam Gase went 9-23 and in two years as the Jets head coach. So I don't really need to explain anymore as to why he got fired. Uh, Doug Marone, he went 1-15 this past year with the Jaguars, getting them the top pick. Yeah, probably time for, for him to move on as well. Get a new coach to go with your new franchise quarterback and uh, see how that develops. Now the Los Angeles Chargers, they fired head coach Anthony Lynn. He finished this year 7-9, and nine, and just two years ago, the Chargers were 12-4. and four. So that's a five-win drop-off the last couple years. And Chargers have a good young team. Uh, of course, Justin Herbert really uh, bust onto the scene this year. So it'll be interesting to see how those head coaches, uh, how those vacancies get filled. Now, the Houston Texans, they, of course, fired Bill O'Brien, who was their head coach and GM uh, midseason. And they hired uh, New England Patriots executive Nick Casario to be their new general manager. Now, Nick Casario, he came from the Patriots organization, uh... They held several interviews, including Lewis Riddick of ESPN, and franchise quarterback Deshaun Watson had given his input on who he wanted to be the general manager, and the Texans did not even consider either of those candidates. So that pissed him off. They also didn't let Deshaun Watson know earlier, uh, I guess in the the preseason when they traded DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals. They didn't inform him that was going down either. So the rumor was this week, reports came out that Deshaun Watson was going to be asking for a trade out of Houston. And if I'm Watson, why the hell wouldn't you want to get traded? You have no weapons. Uh, You traded away DeAndre Hopkins. Will Fuller was suspended for the last five games of the season. And he's a free agent, likely not to sign with the Texans. You have your running backs are David Johnson and Duke Johnson, a washed-up David Johnson, mind you. You have Laramie Tunsil on your offensive line, and that is it. So what is appealing about that? If I'm Deshaun Watson, I'm damn sure asking for a trade because I don't want any part of Houston. I doubt they trade him, uh, but... That'll be really interesting. Now, speaking of other quarterbacks, this past week in the NFL, the Washington football team waived their former first-round pick of a couple years ago, Dwayne Haskins. And he cleared waivers. He's still unsigned as it sits right now. 
Uh, Haskins was just never a good fit in Washington. He was super raw coming out of Ohio State, and they took him with, I believe, the 14th overall pick a couple years ago. Uh, He's got the talent to be a good quarterback in the NFL, but his accuracy is an issue, and he just needs to sit behind somebody and learn. Uh, but he's still on sign, so he is free to sign with whatever team he chooses. Now, I also saw that he fired his agent and hired a new one, so we'll see if a deal gets done on that, but who knows. But we'll move over to the National Basketball Association. Uh, the NBA season is underway. Uh, teams have played uh, between seven and nine-ish games. I'll just take you through kind of a brief rundown of the standings in the Eastern Conference right now Philadelphia 76ers are 7-2 Indiana Pacers 6-2 Boston Celtics 7-3 Orlando Magic 6-3 and you have the New York Knicks yeah that's right the New York freaking Knicks 5-4 Milwaukee Bucks Cleveland Cavaliers are also 5-4 and and the Brooklyn Nets uh, my pick to win the East are 5-5 Now, interesting with the Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant was deemed a close contact to a positive COVID person, so he has to miss at least seven days, and he's in the middle of that right now, and that includes missing four games in that seven-day span. And now, a report came out today, Kyrie Irving is missing his second straight game due to a personal issue. So, things are looking a little shaky in Brooklyn at the moment, but uh, in the Western Conference... L.A. Lakers, 7-3. Phoenix Suns, 6-3. L.A. Clippers, 6-4. And And then you have the Utah Jazz, Golden State Warriors, both at 5-4. Dallas Mavericks, Portland Trailblazers, San Antonio Spurs, and Oklahoma City Thunder are all at 4-4. So it's going to be, remember, it's a 72-game season, 10 games fewer than normal. So it'll be uh, interesting to see how that plays out. But there have been a couple of major injuries to uh, hit the NBA so far this year. Uh, the first injury was uh, on the Brooklyn Nets, and that was Spencer Dinwiddie. He's a key role player for that team. He uh, Back on December the 29th, he, to- he partially tore his ACL. And since then, he's already had surgery to fix it, but he's out for the year. So that's a key, key role player for the Nets that's going to miss the rest of the year. Now, uh, the other injury is to Markel Fultz, the Orlando Magic. He also tore his ACL the other day uh, driving to the hoop. So that's going to be, that's a big loss for the Magic. Uh, Not that they, you know, are really kind of any playoff threat per se, but uh, that's just difficult for them to deal with. Uh, moving forward through the rest of the season. But we'll move on from the NBA over to the PGA Tour. Just circle back there real quick. And uh, a couple weeks ago, the PGA announced that there's um, changing the ticket policy for the 2021 Masters. They've delayed their ticketing process, uh, seeking a way to allow some spectators to return for the first major of the year. And we are within 100 days of the Masters, which is scheduled to take place on April the 8th. And uh, they're trying to uh, communicate decisions for the 2021 Masters. Uh, Should have something out by the end of January. The normal patron series badges that they sell are good for all four rounds of the tournament. And they do not include the practice rounds. The cost of those for 2020 was $375.00. Uh, when it was announced that the Masters would be played in November uh, with with spectators originally, but then they changed it to be without spectators. So they're looking at um, how they can get fans into the Masters to watch this year uh, and how they can configure the ticket price there. I think it's imperative that we at least try and have some fans out there because the Masters just wasn't the same without any fans. So we'll see how that goes this year. Uh, But we'll move on to some other news, just some general hockey news. 
first piece deals with the American Hockey League, the AHL, which is the, of course, basically the farm system for the NHL. Three AHL teams, Charlotte Checkers, Milwaukee Admirals, and Springfield Thunderbirds have all opted out of this season due to COVID concerns. Now, if your affiliated NHL franchise is still playing, I'm not sure why you would opt out. Uh, that just, to me, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, especially with the vaccine getting disseminated, I don't understand why three teams would, would choose that method, but uh, such is the case. But the more important hockey news deals with the IIHF World Junior Championships. And the World Junior Championships features a bunch of uh, 18, 19 year old kids from various countries. Uh, they play, they represent their country. A lot of the kids are playing juniors or college hockey or in the European uh, version of the juniors. And uh, Team USA met Team Canada for the gold medal this year, which was the fifth time in history of the tournament that the U.S. has played Canada for the gold. And Canada came in 6-0 and with a 41-4 goal differential. And the United States was 5-1, and uh, coming off five straight wins. They lost their first game to Russia, but they rattled off five straight wins to come into the championship game five and one. Canada was heavily favored, but uh, the United States came out, took it to them, and ended up winning the gold medal game two to nothing. Spencer Knight, the United States goalie, had a 34-save shutout in the win. Uh, the MVP for the entire tournament was United States forward Trevor Zegras who was a first-round pick of the Anaheim Ducks in the 2019 NHL Draft. And speaking of that, between the 2019 NHL Draft and 2020 NHL Draft, between those two drafts, there were a total of 27 first-round picks on the ice in that game between Canada and the United States. It was like watching a future All-Star game five years from now. 27 first-round picks. 18 of those were on Team Canada, and 9 of those uh, were on Team USA. So uh, it was a great game, super close, uh, and just watching uh, the basically the future of the NHL uh, compete against each other was, uh, was pretty cool to see. But just some other uh, random news from around some sports. Uh, the Associated Press named their male and female athletes of the year for 2020. Male athlete of the year was Los Angeles Lakers forward LeBron James. He, of course, led the L.A. Lakers to the NBA title, and he earned another M uh, Finals MVP award. And on the female side, is female athlete of the year is Naomi Osaka. She's the number one ranked female tennis player in the world. She won the 2020 U.S. Open, which was her third major championship, and uh, she just seems to compete at every tournament she's in. So uh, good for them. Uh, I do want to circle back to Major League Baseball for just a second. I did miss one of the major trades that just went down uh, this past week, and that was between the New York Mets and the Cleveland Indians. The Cleveland Indians traded Francisco Lindor, all-star shortstop, and pitcher Carlos Carrasco to the New York Mets. And in return, Cleveland gets Ahmed Rosario, who's a shortstop, top infield prospect Andres Jimenez, second-round pick, and a couple other uh, players, prospects. So Francisco Lindor, he's a four-time All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger Award winner, Gold Glove winner, and he is one of the best shortstops in all of baseball. He's getting traded to the New York Mets, who are due to get back their, uh, one of their All-Star pitchers, Noah Syndergaard, this year. Uh, I think this trade propels the Mets right up to the top of the uh, National League East. I know you got the Nationals, who made a big trade that we talked about earlier. Uh, and then, of course, the Atlanta Braves, who had won the division this year. But, man, the Mets are just, with that trade, they, they, uh, they're they looking pretty good, sitting pretty for that. Um, excited to see a good competitive NL East. Uh, 
but the other piece of news, I'll just circle back to college football for a minute. I mentioned the, the awards. The rest of the, of course, we talked about the Heisman and Devontae Smith winning that, but there were, all the other awards were, were given out. Uh, the Maxwell Award was given to the most outstanding player, and that, of course, was Devontae Smith from Alabama. He joins Joe Burrow uh, from last year, uh, winning both the Heisman and the Maxwell. Now, the Walter Camp Award was the Player of the Year, and that went to, you guessed it, Devontae Smith. Doak Walker Award is the National Running Back Award, best running back in the country. This year, Alabama running back Najee Harris took it home. Not really a surprise there. He finished fifth in the Heisman voting. Davey O'Brien Award goes to the best quarterback in the country. That's Alabama's Mac Jones, who finished third in the Heisman voting. See a trend here with Alabama players? Uh, Fred Bolitnikoff Award. Most outstanding receiver in the country. Any guesses? Yep, Devontae Smith. Uh, John Mackey Award. Most outstanding tight end in the country. Florida's tight end, Kyle Pitts. And boy, he's a good one. Uh, He is going to be a first-round pick, probably in the top 15 to 17 picks. Uh, Really a great player, super athletic. Uh, On the defensive side, the Bednarik Award, which is the Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, Tulsa linebacker Zaven Collins, who, who also won the Bronco Nagurski Award uh, as well. Zaven Collins is 6'4", he's 260 pounds. He's a linebacker, hybrid D-end. Uh, he is a super dude off the field. And I've seen his draft stock rising considerably in these last few weeks. Uh, I would look for him to be a first-round pick if he has a good combine. The Butt Kiss Award for the most outstanding linebacker, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa from Notre Dame. He is another projected first-round pick. Uh, Jim Thorpe Award for the most outstanding defensive back goes to TCU's Trevon Morig. So those are just uh, some of the awards to get caught up on. Um, That's going to wrap up the 22nd episode of Sports Island. Appreciate you guys taking time out of your schedule to listen. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Hope you enjoyed getting caught up on all the most recent sports news. Uh, Look forward to getting next episode out. But in the meantime, stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next time.